Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your volume because you're about to listen to the Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond Marsh. The sickest NHL podcast. It's going to be sick. But here we are on another edition of Sick Podcast. Hey, it's a Monday, right? We'll, uh, We'll blame it on a Monday, but here we go. Welcome to another edition. Pierre McGuire, Jimmy Murphy here, and we are glad to be with you because, man, Pierre, it has been a busy, crazy weekend in the hockey world. And, of course, I think the question that everyone right now is talking uh, – the question, the topic that everyone's talking about right now is obviously Patrick Waugh getting hired as a New York Islanders head coach. Pierre, you always tell me, and you've said it on the show as well, that Lou Lamorello – is the most stealth GM out there. How did he pull this one off without it slipping into the media? Uh, I think he kept it in a real close circle. I think it was probably Lou Lamorello, Chris Lamorello, his son, and Jacques Lemaire. And when you think about it, the Islanders were on a road trip. Lou didn't go. That's very unique. Unless he's on a scouting mission, Lou Lamorello's with his team all the time. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why he's been such an excessively, an unbelievably successful uh, general manager for so many years is because he is an expert on his team. Nobody knows more about his team than he does. But there's an unbelievable relationship between Jacques Lemaire and Lou Lamorello. You know, obviously Jacques would have tremendous tentacles knowing Patrick Waugh from Montreal mm-hmm. and, and from the province of Quebec. Um, there has to be huge respect there. And I, I would say that that's why it was so under wraps. Um, you know, Patrick wasn't going to leak it. Jacques wasn't going to leak it. Chris Lamorello wasn't going to leak it. And Lou Lamorello wasn't going to leak it. So it was a really tight circle. All right. So on that note, do you think he's got something else cooking that we probably won't know about until the last minute? One of the things I remember the most, uh, Mr. Lamorello, and I call him coach most of the time out of respect because that's the first time I ever knew him. He was coaching. (laughs) Then he became the athletic director at Providence. But I always call him coach out of respect. Um, the, The one thing I'd say is I'd never forget Coach and I were at a funeral, and uh, he came up to me, and he says, I shocked you, huh? And I said, what are you talking about? He says, uh, you didn't think I'd get Kovalchuk, did you? I said, no, I did not think you'd get Kovalchuk. And uh, he made a big deal with Atlanta, obviously, to bring in Ilya Kovalchuk. And most people had all these different scenarios for Ilya Kovalchuk. Oh, yeah. none, of them, none of them were New Jersey. But yeah. I was able to pull it off, and um, – 
I, I would tell you this about Lou Lamorello, um, and I'm, I feel blessed to call him a friend, somebody that I really respect. Mm -hmm. uh, he does so much for people, and he never says a word. He never expects any gratitude. He just does it. He doesn't mm -hmm. tell you about it, and he just goes about his business. And while he's perceived as a very hard, tough, and sometimes ruthless general manager, he probably is in a hockey parlance, but in real-world stuff, He's an amazing gentleman, and he's really, really kind and gives back to a lot of people that nobody knows about. Pierre, I'll tell you this, too. There's, uh, there's an Islander scout actually watching us right now. He just texted me and said, I didn't even know. I had no clue. That's, that's what I'm saying. So, I, I mean, again, I, I'm not trying to tell people their business, but I would tell you that usually when you want to make something happen and you want to keep it under wraps, you keep the circle of friendship real close. And in, in this case, I'm going to say – it was Patrick, it was Jacques, it was Chris Lamorello, it was Rue Lamorello. I can't think anybody else knew about this. All right. So, Pierre, let's first we're going to we'll talk about just the, the coaching aspect of Patrick. And then I have a clip I want to play of him from his press conference the other day after he got hired. But just in terms of coaching, um, what did you think? Of him? Obviously, he won the Jack Adams, but mm -hmm. in 2014. But in terms of maybe if you can recall, I know it's it's almost 10 years ago now. You go back to that year and those years he's coaching Colorado. What did you think was maybe something that he needed to improve on? And and now, do you, obviously, he's had plenty of time to do it. From what you know of what he's done at the junior level, has he improved on that? 100% less emotional. If you watched him last night, and I know you did because we talked about it, uh, he was emotional in a positive way on the bench. You know, you saw him putting his arms around certain players on the bench, I'm sure whispering, you know, maybe forecheck this way, better stick positioning that way, uh, you know, play inside out in a different situation, all these different. But he handled that kind of calmly. And then you could see other moments in the game where he started to get a little squirrely. That, that's okay. The cameras are on. More coaches in the league don't have all that camera stuff that he had to deal with last night. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I think he got better at when he was coaching in Quebec, uh, he didn't alienate players. I found that he did not. I watched his teams play a lot. He did a great job. He won a Memorial Cup there, Jimmy. I mean, that's a hard trophy to win. It really is, especially from the Quebec League. It's not an easy thing to do. Usually the Ontario League or the Western League kind of have their way unless there's a generational player. You know, I remember the 05 Memorial Cup like it was yesterday. It was a Rumuski Oceanic against the London Knights in London. Corey Perry played on that London Knights team. Sidney Crosby, Sidney Crosby played on the Ramusi Oceanic. If if Sidney Crosby had not been on that team, I guarantee you they would not have been playing in the Memorial Cup final. Yeah. So it's just an example of how things work. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, we'll get to get to Corey Perry because he's another news story from this weekend too. But just in terms of you're saying less emotional in a negative way, how important, obviously, Pierre, is that with the generation of players that have, that is rolling into this league now year after year? The best part about it is he was coaching junior players, so mm -hmm. he knows what these young players are. I used to ask our good friend Scotty Bowman this. How were you able to coach in five different decades and stay relevant? Coach in the 60s, mm -hmm. the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. His last game was 2002 in Detroit a Stanley Cup final against Carolina. How were you able to remain relevant? And he said, well, first of all, I paid attention to social things that were going on. Secondly, I had young children in my house. 
And thirdly, I paid attention to what was going on with our American League kids and our draft picks to see what the trends were in society. Yeah. So that's how he was able to remain relevant all the time. And I can tell you, we had every gadget known to man. Like you talk about VCRs or Walkman or you name whatever you needed. Scotty always had the latest gadget. Uh-huh. He wanted to be able to keep up with everybody else. And yeah. I think when Patrick is coaching in Quebec, he's the owner, he's the manager, and he's the coach. He's all he's got on everything. He's, he's, yeah, so he knows yeah. everything yeah. that's going on. And I think yeah. that's a big part of it. And that's going to help him a lot. All right. The other thing I want to talk about, too, and, and he touched on it. Well, a reporter asked him, but he gave a great answer, I thought. You know, the, the rumor was when he was in Colorado that one of the reasons he left was he felt he didn't have enough say in player personnel and, and big decisions uh, with Joe Sackick. So let's play this clip because he was asked about this the other day at the press conference. I know you were VP of Hockey Ops in Colorado, and one of the re- when you left – you know, you wanted to have a say in decisions that, in fact, impacted the team. Just curious, do you have any other titles? Do you have a say? Is that important to you, or are you just a coach? You're talking to me right now? Yes. Uh, zero interest in, in, in management, uh, and that's the first thing I told Lou. I mean, even in my at the end of my days in Colorado, I was Joe was, was our GM, and he was making most of the decisions. I mean, uh, yeah, he would come in downstairs and ask me my opinion on things, but uh, I have zero interest in management. And I, I would say this to you: when I um, when I took the job in Colorado, I think it was a bit of a dreamer, and thinking that I could do both. I I think I have plenty on my plate. Just worry about the worry about my relationship with the players and the media, and 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 try to. Um, use the media as a bridge between us and our fans. Our fans base is extremely important. And and I wanna I want the fans to come in our games and be excited about us. I want our fans to to walk in the street wearing that 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 jersey and be so proud of of, of that team. And that's my objective. In that quote, I found it interesting two things. One how he said that he knows now that he has to just focus on one area. He can't do hockey personnel and the coaching. He has to just be focused on his actual job. And I think he meant it. And you already said of how much he learned in terms of dealing with players. It feels like he learned a lot just in, in not putting too much on his plate as well. Would you agree? 100%. But you know what's interesting? He gave the gift that's going to keep on giving in Colorado. And that's Nathan McKinnon. The 2013 draft, that was Patrick's first year. People forget Patrick was just coming out of Quebec. Um, He had played against Halifax uh, in the Memorial Cup, and he knew how good Nathan McKinnon was. There was a big debate. Do you take McKinnon, Barkoff, or Drouin, and maybe Seth Jones? And a lot of people, Seth Jones was coming out of, you know, the um, Portland Winter Hawks organization. Uh, He was a big defenseman. He had tentacles attached to the city of Denver and the state of Colorado because of his father being a great basketball player. So there was a lot of debate as to who Colorado was going to take first overall. Patrick had a big say because obviously he had just coached against Nathan and also Jonathan Drouin, who's now in Colorado, ironically enough. But, you know, I think Patrick learned a lot from his first time. And I think everybody, when they coached in the NHL, Jimmy, for the Mm -hmm. first time, they learn a lot. They learn a lot. And you try not to repeat the same mistakes because there's no perfect coach. Um, 
you know, everybody makes a mistake in this business. And I think he probably overstepped his bounds a little in Colorado, but I can assure you, and you can talk to your friend who's a scout for the Islanders, you don't do anything in New York with the Islanders unless you get the approval of Lou Lamorello. Yeah. I guarantee you, Lou will tell him, you just coach and I'll get you the players. I guarantee you he'll tell him that. Great segue. Great minds think alike, Pierre. What I'll say about that, and that's why I want to go to the second part of that quote or that soundbite there, is him saying that he wants to really use the media as a conduit to the fans. Now, that's where I was going to ask you, what do you think Lou thought about when he said that? Because we know we just said how much he wants to keep things under wraps. We know that Lou isn't exactly, and I'm not saying it's in a mean way. He just isn't exactly media friendly. Um, what do you think Lou thought of? And I would imagine, as you just said, he wouldn't have said it unless he got the approval of Lou to say it. I think it's really important um, in this era because so much is on the internet. Obviously, there are tons of podcasts out there. There are people that are informed that are putting out really good information, and there are people that are not that informed putting out bad information. So I think what Patrick really meant by that is I'm going to make sure that we're transparent as an organization. Our fans really matter to us, and they do. I know John Ledecky extremely well, one of the owners there. Uh, I've spoken with Scott Malcolm before, the head owner of the New York Islanders. They are a proud ownership group. They are committed to that area. They care about their fans. They're building a huge shopping complex called a Value Retail right next door uh, to the arena. And, and I would just tell you that I think Patrick wants to make sure the Islander fans are treated with respect and that they understand exactly what he's thinking as a coach and exactly what the plan is going forward for the team on the ice. Not the team away from the ice, but the team on the ice. And I don't think Lou will have a problem with that. That's great. And by the way, just so you know, for fans around the league that don't realize how strong and passionate that fan base still is, I can, I can attest. I have friends down there. I have friends that have season tickets to, to those games. That is a really big fan base that they they're diehards there and, and they're still passionate i know it's been a while since they won the stanley cup here but i think that you know like you said ownership realizes what they have there in that fan base lou realizes it and patrick realizes it i i here i honestly i don't know if they're going to make the playoffs and we're going to get to that because we're going to talk about some teams that are right on the border i don't know if they make it i don't know if it's too far into the season to really turn it around but i think this is a huge positive step in engaging that fan base back, bringing back positivity and optimism. I think they really hit it out of the park with this hire. I think it's a really good hire for the marketplace. All that being said, I don't think Lane Lambert's a bad coach. Um, I don't either. Replaced. And, and I know Doug Huda. I had the privilege of coaching Doug in Hartford. Uh, and I know Johnny McLean really well. I was in training camp with Johnny as a player. Uh, and I've known Johnny a long time, almost 40 years. So a uh, big fan of both those guys, his assistants. Um, and, and I would just say that the staff as it's set up right now is good. The staff as it was set up before was very good as well. The difference is I think you're bringing in a Hall of Famer. No disrespect meant to Wayne Lambert as a player in his career. Patrick was an iconic figure in the National Hockey League. His instantaneous street cred with his players when he walks into the room. He's won Stanley Cups. He's won consummate trophies. He's played in the Olympics. I mean, the list goes on and on, and obviously being inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So, Jimmy, I would say that the difference is instantaneous street cred, and the players now know 
that they've got to get this thing back on the rails because they got a good guy fired. It, you can blame the coach all you want. The players know they got a good guy fired. Lane Lambert's a really good guy. Yeah, and you know what? Lou Lamorell touched on that earlier. We didn't play that clip, but he did say, you know, this is on the players now. We've done our part. We've we've provided you with what we believe is the change you need. But, you know, when it comes down to it, it's up to you. So I would say this, Pierre, let's let's talk right now about the standings. We're looking at it. We were discussing this off air earlier today. There's a lot of teams bunched in right now in that Eastern Conference playoff race, hovering around or just below the wild card spot. There's a couple teams you can kind of rule out at this point, but there's a lot of teams that still think they have hopes of sneaking in. Are the Islanders one of those realistic hopes? Do you think they can still do this, or is it just maybe a little too late into the season? So one of the things I think you really have to look at when you get to close to the 50-game mark, and most of the teams are close, close enough anyways to the 50-game mark where it becomes a 32-game drag race to the finish line. So realistically, do you think Ottawa's going to make it, Jimmy? I'll just play this no. out. Okay. Do you think Columbus is going to make it? No. Do you think Buffalo is going to make it? No. Okay. So let's take the teams that are left. Let's talk about Montreal, Pittsburgh, New Jersey, Washington, and the Islanders. So one of the things I think you need to look at when you have that grouping of players, they're chasing, they're trying to catch Detroit, they're trying to catch Tampa, they're trying to catch Toronto right now. Those are the teams that are trying. I'm going to read this to you, and you tell me what you think of this. The Montreal Canadiens goal differential is minus 36. The New Jersey goal differential is minus 4. The Washington Capitals goal differential is minus 24. The Pittsburgh Penguins goal differential are the only one in the plus. They're plus 15. And the New York Islanders are minus 20. So every team that's chasing the teams that are already in the playoffs, there's only one with a positive goal differential, and that's the Pittsburgh Penguins at plus 15. Montreal, New Jersey, Washington, and the Islanders are all minus. The only one that's close to being plus are the New Jersey Devils. So think about that, Jimmy. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough, and that's it's a great way to look at it, Pierre. And I, you know, I I definitely urge our fans and our viewers and listeners to break it down that way because it makes a lot of sense. And by the way, that one team that's a plus has a guy named Sidney Crosby too, so that's kind of an advantage, I'd say as well. Well, no, he's having an MVP type year. I mean, you yeah, talk, and there's so many people, just like the Coach of the Year candidates. There's so many people that really should be in the end. Austin Matthews should be in the discussion. Mm -hmm. Travis Konechny should be in the discussion. Nathan McKinnon should be in the discussion. Connor McDavid should be in the discussion. You know, you can go around the league. There are a lot of guys that should be in the Hall of Fame – or not the Hall of Excuse me. They eventually – some of them will be, but they should be in the MVP discussion. Um, and so – but Sid is definitely one of those players. There's no question Sid's one of those players. For sure. Well, listen, we're going to switch over now to the next topic here, and that was Corey Perry signing in the last 24 hours with the Edmonton Oilers. Obviously, th things didn't go the way he wanted on and off the ice in Chicago. That's in the past now. He went into the, you know, the players' assistance program. He did what he had to do to get back here. What does he bring on the ice to the Edmonton Oilers? Winning. He understands how to win. So you go back to the World Junior uh in 2005, he's still playing junior hockey for the London Knights. He plays on a line with Crosby and Bergeron. He, they're a hugely important part of this team, Canada, that wins gold against Ovechkin and Malkin and the Russians. That's number one. Number two, the Memorial Cup in 2005. They played against the Ramusi Oceanic. 
Corey Perry against Sidney Crosby. Corey Perry wins that one as well. That's in 2005. Wins the cup in 2007 playing with Brian Burks, really good Anaheim Ducks team. Uh, and he and Ryan Getzlaff were the young guys that played extremely well. Andy McDonald played unbelievably well. Timu Salani, you know, remember Sammy Paulson playing with Travis Mullen and Robbie Niedermeyer. But Corey Perry was a big part of that. And then you look at the last three, three finals, 20, 21, and 22. He played with Dallas, he played with Montreal, and he played with Tampa. Three straight trips to the final. You don't think the guy understands how to win? I know. Let's play a little clip here from one of those trips to the final. This is, I can't believe this is three years ago. 2021, game three goal with the Montreal Canadiens against the Tampa Bay Lightning. In the slot, Gallagher swung it wide. Perry's the man that came on for Price and scores! Over the shoulder and gets one back. You can say all you want about Mark Bergevin. He at least knew to sign a guy like Corey Perry there, Pierre. And, and he, was a, he was a real pivotal part of that run. I remember them. I followed that run closely. And, he, you know, every player, every teammate he had continually credited that what he was bringing, that sort of that aura, like you just said, about winning and about Stanley Cup experience. They all credit that as one of the reasons they were able to go on, you know, probably the last Cinderella run, so to speak, uh, to a Stanley Cup final. Here's one thing I would tell you. It's a great learning lesson for young executives in the National Hockey League. When Scotty Bowman worked around the Montreal Canadiens and Frank Selke Sr. was there and Sam Pollock was there, one of the things the Canadiens always tried to do before a cup run, add a player who'd either won once or been close a bunch of times because they knew how to do it, number one. And number two, they brought in a lot of enthusiasm. and They made the players in the dressing room feel comfortable and feel better and know that the management was trying to help the coaches and the team be prepared. So when you look at Montreal, you used to add players all the time right around the trade deadline and people say, why are they doing that? Why are they, guess who Kenny Holland used to work with in Detroit? Oh, uh, yep. <laughs> guarantee you, I guarantee you he's heard that story from Scotty. And so yep. when you have a chance to add a player like Corey Perry, and there's a great relationship between Kenny and the people at Newport Sports Management, Patrick yep. Moore, Craig Oster, Donnie Meehan, and the people that work there. They see Corey Perry on the market, and they know, obviously, he's had his trials and tribulations this year. They say, we're not afraid of that. We, we know the player. We know what he brings. We know the person. And we're going forward with this guy. And so if you're a player in Edmonton right now, you're like, we just added a winner. Because yeah. none, none of us have won. This is yeah. great. Yeah. It's true. And you know, you said something too, the, the, the clout you talked about, you were talking about Patrick Waugh, it just, and the clout that a Stanley cup ringer, a uh, ring winner brings. I remember when they brought Mark Recchi into Boston mm -hmm. and I just remember the players were like fans almost, the, they were in such awe of what this guy had accomplished in his career. And now they're saying, this guy's our teammate now. It, like fans don't realize like the players, the players are fans of the game too. And, and when they see a guy like that come in with that resume, it really means a lot. And it, and like you just said, it, it tells them, hey, management believes in us. If they're willing to go out and get this guy right now and they want to add him to the mix, they believe in us. And that's a huge thing to have, especially at this time of year. You know, in 1990, the Pittsburgh Penguins brought in Joey Mullen and the Stanley Cup from 1989 in Calgary. And they brought in Brian Trotche and all the Stanley Cups with the New York Islanders. I was there. Trust me. 
it made a massive difference. The 1990 Pittsburgh Penguins missed the playoffs the last day of the season. Uwe Krupp scored with the seeing-eye shot from the offensive blue line of the Buffalo Sabres towards a Pittsburgh Penguin goal. It went in, and that was it. The Penguins were out, and that was the problem. So they changed the entire staff. And, yep. and they brought in different people. Um, I was fortunate to be one of them. And I would just tell you that a big part of it uh, at the draft that year, besides getting Yarimir Yager and, and drafting Chris Tamer and some other really good players, we traded our second-round pick in that draft to the Calgary Flames to get Joe Mullen. And the reason why we got Joe Mullen is Bob Johnson had worked with him before. He knew they needed to change the schematic in, in, in Pittsburgh, and they wanted to bring in a guy that really understood the way Bob was because Bob had worked with him in Calgary. And uh, so that worked, and, and obviously Brian Trotche was huge. I keep telling you that, Jimmy. And so all the everybody in Pittsburgh was listening to these two guys. They were Exactly. They were, they were like the, the people that told you how to get to the rink on time and get to the bus on time and, and winning habits, winning habits that mattered so much. And, and so it really matters when you get those guys. And I think Corey Perry can provide that in Edmonton. I really do. Yeah, and, and another thing, too, to point out, and it's not like people may see, fans may see, okay, they're acquiring a guy that had a ring, but, oh, he's got 17 points this season. How is he going to help us? I'm telling you, the players don't care about the stats. They look at the experience, and they say, this is a guy that, you know, if we're coming in in a second in a mission, and we're down 3-2 in game seven of the second round of the playoffs, this is a guy we can draw on. We, we can really pick his brain right in that moment and go out and apply that on the ice. That's how much it means to have these guys in the locker room. The weakness of Corey Perry's game is he's not a great skater. He never was. But obviously, as he gets older, he's played over 1,000 games. And if you add in his games played in the regular season and his games played in the playoffs, it's almost 1,500 games. It's a lot of games in the yeah. NHL. Um, but so what's his weakness? Well, he's not a great skater. You think he's going to be carrying the puck in Edmonton? <laughs> No need for that. You, know, you can put him with Drysetter. You can put him with McDavid. You can put him with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. You can put him with whomever you choose. Uh, he'll get to the net. He'll create and score on second-chance opportunities. He's going to create tons of rebound opportunities because of the way he establishes body position down low. He's strong on the boards if he has to be. Um, he's unpredictable, so he gets the other team's defensemen a little squirrely. Uh, there's a lot of things that I really like about Corey going there, and, and one of them is the winning. It's a yep. huge part of it. It really is. And don't forget, you, you just talked about he can uh, make the other team squirrely. He is one of the best chirpers in the NHL, and he can get under your skin pretty quick. Which is amazing because he's a very shy, quiet guy. Right. But he's on tall. the ice, I heard he's brutal. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with that. Pierre, I want to just, before we get to our questions here, I want to just go over to Vancouver, too, because it happened as the week ended there last week. You know, Jim Rutherford gets an extension there. And, and congratulations to him. I think he's done a great job there. He's bringing in Rick Tockett and Patrick Alvin. But he also, I wanted to talk specifically about something he said in that press conference. I've got a clip here, because I know you've been tooting his horn and well-deserved, is what he said about why he brought in Rick Tockett. So let's go to this clip from Jim Rutherford last week when he got announced for the extension series of press conferences almost 12 months ago leading up to you hiring rick and in the 12 months since uh, your team's played 81 games 108 point pace over those games how crucial has 
his contributions been in permitting your sort of vision for this club to become the reality we're seeing on the ice at the moment? Well, it's played a huge part. And uh, part of making that change last year, we said it at the time, was we wanted the coach to have a head start on this season as to putting in his system and getting the players to understand what he expected from them and the work ethic and different things. So that was important to do it at that point in time. And uh, and then he he worked very hard telling the players what he wanted in the off season to come in and be prepared, be prepared for camp. We had a really strong camp, him preaching the system and preaching what he wanted to do and accountability. And as everybody's seen, it doesn't matter whether the top player on the team or the bottom player in the lineup, he makes everybody accountable. And I really, really respect that consistency when you do that with players. So uh, our coach, Rick Tockett, and, our, and the staff has had a huge impact on where we are today. Here, I mean, when you look back at some of the different coaching hires in the last few years, that has to be one of the best so far. And also, I want to ask you, too, in your years since you became a broadcaster, is, is Rutherford one of maybe top three, at least top five hockey management people in the NHL? Oh, he definitely deserves that. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, Kenny Holland deserves that same kind of accolade. Mm -hmm. uh, he's done an he did an amazing job as a scout in Detroit before he ever became a management person. Um, so, you know, you look at some of these people that have done. Joe Sackick has done magnificent work uh, in Colorado. Steve Eiserman has done unbelievable work in Tampa and Detroit. Uh, there are a lot of people that deserve some big recognition. Uh, I think you work right next to a guy that gets no credit at all, and that's Donnie Sweeney. Mm. Uh, you know, Donnie's done tremendous work in Boston, unbelievable work in Boston. So there are a lot of guys that, that merit getting mentioned. But Jimmy obviously has got a little more experience than most of the people that I talked about, except for maybe Kenny Holland, who was scouting in the league when Jimmy was running the Windsor Spitfires. Um, what I'd say about Jimmy is what that soundbite was so great about, you can coach that way when you have the support of the president of hockey operations Bingo. and the general manager of the team. But if you don't have that support and everybody's not singing from the same songbook, you might coach that way, but then the guy that you alienate, the coach or the player that you're coaching real hard and he gets mad – he calls his agent. That agent calls the president of hockey operations or the GM, and they say, well, you know what? He's really not a great coach, and we're probably going to do something different. So don't worry. We'll take care of it. That's when it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. But right now, for Jimmy to acknowledge that publicly, I think it's huge. And, you know, obviously there's a great relationship between Patrick Alvin and Rick Tockett. Whenever you've won cups with somebody, it, it, it that, that bond never goes away. Right. It never, it never ever goes away. Everybody that was part of the 91 and 92 Penguins Stanley Cups, you know, I, I'd do anything for anybody, whether it would be a trainer or a security person or a mm -hmm. uh, player. It just doesn't matter. You win with people. You, you, There's something special that happened. But I think Rick can coach that way because he's got the blessing of the president of hockey operations and the general manager. And one other thing, Jimmy, and you heard it first on this show. Yep. They hired two guys to work with their defense, not one, two. There's a premium for making defense better. 
And between Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar, they've got two guys that are making their defensemen better all the time. Why do you think Quinn Hughes is in the Norris Trophy discussion? Exactly. Yeah. Better with those guys there. He has. And even their, their, you know, their bottom guys on that defense pier, they've just all contributed. They've all upped their game there. So uh, I love that. I love what he said about accountability there. And the other thing, too, he said earlier in that press conference, we didn't have it there, Pierre, was he said when he got hired there in Vancouver, he looked at that lineup and he saw a contender, even though they, that's not what they were in the standings and that's not how they were playing on the ice. He saw something there. And then he, you know, he kind of led into the whole thing with Rick Tockett. And Tockett was obviously one of the biggest missing pieces he had. So great job on him. And again, you were the first. You said it. Nobody was giving them credit when they hired Rick Tockett. And now they're all praising him out there. So uh, I'm going to let you in. I'm going to let you in on something I probably shouldn't do, but it really means a lot to me because I'm very close and respectful of Rick. I think the world of him. And I was interviewed by somebody about a job in the league. And they said to me, if there's one guy you could have to help run your team, who would it be? And I said, well, he's the coach of the Arizona Coyotes right now, but he'd be a guy that I would want with me because first I coached him, I helped trade for him, and I've known him for a long time. And I know that he fits into a certain scheme that if you, if you have it and you support him, you're going to win. Mm -hmm. And so the person that was talking to me said, really? And I said, yeah, hundred percent. And he kind of discounted it and I didn't get the job. So it didn't matter. Um, but that's what I think of Rick and that's how much respect I have for Rick. And that's why I was so comfortable when he got hired and there were a lot of naysayers and doom and gloom with people saying, yeah. why would he get the job? And I, I wasn't afraid to stand up just because, Jimmy, I can tell you, I've been in the I've been in the foxhole with the guy. I know what he's about. And yeah, he's tremendous. You know, ask Wayne Gretzky what he thinks of Rick Tockett. Yep. Ask Mario Lemieux what he thinks of Rick Tockett. Oh yeah, I, I know a lot of people. That guys. They'll tell you. Yep, for sure. All right, let's get to some questions here, Pierce. Since we got a little time before we get off, and I uh, hop on the train to the Bruins Jets. Which, by the way, here I am looking. Great big Jets tonight, Jimmy. Get ready. Yeah, that's going to be a hell of a game. I'm really looking forward to it. For you, uh, you betters out there, I'm feeling overtime tonight. Just let you know. I think it's going to be a classic. All right, let's get to some questions here. What do we got, guys? You guys discussed Jack Adams candidates a few shows again. Bonus, Tortorella, and Talkett are all obvious candidates. I think Carber Carberry deserves a ton of credit. Montgomery and Maurice have their squads bought in. Do you remember a season with this many coaching storylines? Story and that's from Evan McLaren, who sent us that wonderful video question last week. Evan, thanks a lot. Pierre, I think he's absolutely right. There are just so many great coaching stories. Yeah. First of all, Evan's questions are really well thought out. You can see the passion he has for the sport, and he's clearly a huge fan of the game. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head this many guys that are legitimate contenders for the coach of the year. Usually it's two or three, and then they slide you know, a couple more in. But I, I haven't – I mean, you've got a lot, and, and he's not far wrong. I mean – you know, everybody's talking about torch. Everybody's talking about bonus. Everybody's talking about talking. But you could go a lot of different directions. You really could. Um, Carberry's done a nice job in Washington. It's an older roster, obviously, and uh, they don't have Nicholas Backstrom. That hurts them. They haven't had Ovechkin for a while. Um, so that's been a bit of a problem. But I, I don't think Carberry will be coach of the year. 
but he deserves to be mentioned. There's no question about it. For sure. And and Pierre, I, I gotta say, I mean, I I don't know about you. I mean, we're we're now late January. We could consider it, and Washington's still in the hunt. I mean, I did not see that coming. That's that's pretty uh, impressive. I, I thought they'd be in the hunt, but again, I talked about their goal differential before, Jimmy. They're minus twenty four. Um, yeah. I think it's unless something really changes there, it's, that's going to be really tough to overcome it, in terms of consistency to win, to make up ground. Um, but no, you know, you look at some of the pieces that were there, obviously, they still got some pieces and um, it's still a very proud organization. I, yep. You know, people can say whatever they want about the Capitals only winning one cup. That's a proud organization and it's really well run. Very, very well. And I, I'd have to say, too, I think uh, McClellan is one of the most underrated GMs of the last five to seven years. He's really thorough. He cut his teeth as a scout. He was never drafted as a player, but he played for a long time in the NHL. He was a great college player at Bowling Green, um, teammates with his former boss, George McPhee. Uh, but I have always liked the way he's carried himself around the ring. When I first got to know him, he was a pro scout working for the Capitals uh, and working for George. And obviously, I, I, I'm a big fan of scouting, Jimmy, as you know. I've been doing it oh, for yeah. a long time. Me too. They're really, they're really important people in terms of the nature of the game. They really are. I agree. I agree. All right, next question. All right, this is from Alex Evanoski. Love Lou. He just doesn't care what trendy or is seen as current. He's going to do what he believes is best for the team. He has some Belichick in him. He just doesn't care what the media says. I agree 100%. Well said, Alex. You're spot on. Um, like I said, I've known Coach Lemerell for a very long time. Um, more times than not, I've agreed with him on a lot of his different uh, statements and positions. Um, you know, I feel really fortunate to have spent some quiet time with him in different places, whether it's on airplanes or, um, you know, at hockey rinks, having a cup of coffee or whatever. Uh, and he, he makes a lot of sense. Two of the best motivators for him, the Montreal Canadiens from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, he always used that as a guiding for his franchise, and that's why I think there's this huge love affair with Jacques Lemaire wherever Lou goes, and the other one, the Boston Celtics uh, of Red Arback. And so Lou Lamorello's used both those organizations, one a basketball, one a hockey, as a way to try to build an organization, and he's been unbelievably successful at it. You want to know something? I don't have the quote. We'll have to find it here, but I definitely remember it because it stood out to me. Bill Belichick said the same thing one time that he looked up to the old, and, and it was great because you, you hardly ever hear Bill Belichick talk about hockey, but he made a hockey reference to the, the Canadians dynasties. And he also said Bill Walton as well. And then he said uh, Vince Lombardi in the Packers. So yeah. he said those are model franchises or model dynasties that he looked to to learn from. And he read a lot of books about them. So I'm just telling you, like, I always refer back to Scotty Bowman. And the reason why, I mean, it was an amazing mentorship that he presented to me. He just took unbelievable care of me and taught me so much about hockey and about the National Hockey League. I had coached for a long time in college, and I had played some professional. But still, you, even though you think you know a lot, when you sit with somebody like that that's got generations and generations of intel, and information and learning. You learn so much if you keep your ears open and your eyes open. And I think I shared this with you once before, Jimmy, the late Badger, Bob Johnson, we're sitting on the draft floor in Vancouver and uh, we had just drafted Jeremy Yager and he takes me aside and he puts his arm around me. And he says, the one thing I'm going to ask of you, learn something new every day you go to the rink. Yep. And, and I really, 
I've tried to live that way ever since that day in 1990 in, in Vancouver. I've really tried to live like that every single time I've gone to the rink. And it's, it's been great. Yeah, it's true. And I, I, Pierre, I try to do the same with you, my friend. Uh, all right, next question. Rich H, just to have, just have to say this show is so cool. Really appreciate you too. This show will grow. I'm sitting here listening, having a cup of coffee with you fine gents is the best for this hockey fan. Well, Rich, we really appreciate that. That it means a oh, lot. I got to ask Rich, was that, was that a picture of Dunk Wilson or the late Charlie Hodge? Who, who was that a picture of with the Vancouver Canucks goaltender? That's an <laughs> awesome. First of all, thank you, Rich, for those nice words. But I see that and, I used to scout with Charlie. He'd pick me up at the airport in Vancouver, and you know he was Jacques Plante back up in Montreal, and a part of those Cup-winning teams. And he used to tell me, "Pierre, I don't dislike too many people, but that Toll Blake, oh, that's Gary Suitcase Smith. That's awesome, Rich. Thank you so much. That's really good." Um, but Charlie used to say, I don't dislike too many people in hockey, but that told Blake, he treated me bad. I don't like him. <laughs> We'd be driving up the Coquihalla Pass and probably, I don't know, in the middle of winter and some days it's great and other days it's icy. And I could see every time he would bring up or he would mention Toe Blake, he'd start speeding it up and then he'd start swerving. <laughs> it's okay. We don't have to talk about Toe Blake. It's okay. If you had a blood pressure uh, monitor, it would have been oh, like that. <laughs> really, and he loved, he loved Jacques Plante, and he was a backup to Jacques Plante, Charlie. Um, but probably his favorite teammate. I know I'm going in a different path here, Jimmy. Okay. But uh, he loved John Ferguson. He loved John Ferguson Sr. Uh, they were such good friends. Um, and Charlie just thought the world of the late John Ferguson Sr. really, really liked him a lot. Great stuff. All right, we got time for about two more. Let's get another. Ah, oh, Shane Oliver, another one who sent the uh, video question, which we love. Uh, Shane Oliver says, I do not like three-on-three and shootout points. It's good for business, but it gives fans a false sense of winnability. Will the NHL remove these single points? Standings nope. manipulation, I hate it. Nope, they will not. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. More teams relevant in the standings, and I agree with the premise. I love the question. Um, there's a lot of merit to the question, but the answer is no. They're trying to keep fannies going to the seats. You can't blame them. It's a big business, and uh, they want to keep as many teams relevant as possible in the playoff push. Yeah, and I'm with I'm with Shane as well. If they're going to keep the point, though, and I still I don't think we're going to see this, Pierre. But I'm one of those guys that would love just a longer three-on-three overtime to get to the shootout. So the, the problem you have is, let's just say you just got off a stretch, uh, six games and 11 nights. And let's just say for the sake of argument, four of those six games went to overtime. and Like the Bruins last week. Yeah, like the Bruins. And you have time zone travel and you start to lose players to injury. That doesn't sit well okay. with ownership. So I can't see that happening either. I just can't see it happening. Why is it wrong to have a tie? Yeah, I'm what with was you. wrong when we had ties? I don't know. I mean, I didn't have a problem with a tie. I know yeah. one thing. I know one thing. You'd have to look it up. The numbers. I I don't remember exactly the numbers when I was coaching in Hartford, but we lost a ton. I don't mean a couple. We lost a ton of overtime games when I was coaching there, and um, you didn't get loser points then. You did not, and so. We went on to our last road trip, me basically having to run the table just to stay relevant. We won in Quebec. We lost in Montreal. We won in Winnipeg. We lost in overtime in Calgary. We won in Vancouver, and we won in Edmonton. 
And we almost ran the table, Jimmy. We did. But the OT loss in Calgary just crushed us. It crushed yeah. us. We didn't get a point. The only um, game we really lost in regulation was in Montreal, and we got throttled. We got you, throttled. And I blame, made it. I blame myself for that. You would have made it in this day and age. <laughs> oh, yeah, we probably would have. Yep. Yep. All right. Final question. Rich H again. The Metro Division is going to be a meat grinder to get into the playoffs. Can the Flyers maintain? Yeah, Rich, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, and um, it's a great question. It's a fair point. I actually think you're going to get more teams out of the Atlantic than you are out of the Metro. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see. Can Detroit and Tampa withhold or, and withstand what's going on? And if they can, and the rest stay at work, you know, from the Atlantic, stay in there with Florida um, and with Toronto. Um, and you, they keep pushing, obviously. Uh, and Boston, um, that's five teams that would make it from the Atlantic and only three from the Metro. So I think it's going to be hard for more than three teams from the Metro to make it. I really do. Here, you look, and I remember when we started the, you know, this podcast, we, we were just kind of previewing the season, even though we we're about a month in. And we said that. I mean, we, we were both in agreement. It's going to be five Atlantic, three Metro. But I'm, my question to you is, with how tight the Metro is, right, and, it, and it's a very good possibility that what we predicted is going to happen, does that say the Metro division is worse overall, or is it just a way of how, how good they are and how, how competitive they are? No, I think it says a lot about how good the Atlantic is. Tampa's a real good team, even though they're struggling to have consistency. Florida Panthers went to the Stanley Cup final last year. The Boston Bruins had the best record in the National Hockey League, one of the best records in the history of the mm -hmm. National Hockey League. The Toronto Maple Leafs have all kinds of firepower. Uh, they just can't win in the playoffs because they're not good enough defensively. So you start looking at it, um, and Detroit is obviously a team that Steve Eisenman has built fantastically well, and they'll just continue to improve. They've got a plethora of prospects over in Europe, in North America, playing in Grand Rapids. So I just think it's not so much a question of how good or bad the Metro is. I think it's a question of how really deep the Atlantic is. The Atlantic is unbelievably deep with good teams. And I think if they can get it right in the offseason, Buffalo's going to be coming too next year, Pierre. That is the biggest key. The Buffalo Sabres have to understand the concept of team building and your bottom six forwards can't mm -hmm. be the same as your top six forwards. And so you need to have grit. You need to have some size. You got to have some snarl. I think my good friend Brian Burke called it truculence. Mm -hmm. um, you need to have that. And I don't think Buffalo has enough of that. If you take just Kyle Oposo is probably symptomatic of what a good depth player is. They got one of those. They don't yep. have four or five. They got one. Yeah. And bring in some guys with rings. Can't hurt. No, that can't hurt. I don't ever hurt either. By the way, just so we're clear on this, Donnie Granado, who's the coach in in, in uh, Buffalo, he's a good coach. Yes. If you go look at all the kids that he developed when he was with the US, U.S. National Team Development Program. I used to go break down videotape with him. Trust me, he's a really good coach. Mm -hmm. This isn't a coaching deal in Buffalo. It's a roster-building situation. And like, you look – you just look at it and you can see the difference, why certain teams are better than Buffalo are right now. I mean, it's roster construction. Quick one more question to stay on Buffalo that, Pierre, that I want to ask you. I totally agree that it's a roster building thing. But in my opinion, 
it hasn't just been Kevin Adams. It's been a string of GMs that have had this similar problem in terms of roster building. Why, why are so many GMs struggling to get that in Buffalo? Does that, does that come from above them? No, I don't think so. To be just, fair. Just coincidence? Yeah, I think Kevin had a known vision for what he wanted to do. I don't think Jason Bottrell and Randy Sexton got enough credit for what they were actually on their way to doing in Buffalo. Okay. They got the rug pulled out from them pretty late uh, going into the draft. Um, and, you know, I don't know exactly what happened, but clearly something happened internally where Jason and Randy got punted and so did their scouting staff. I think they punted 17 scouts before the draft that year. That set them back. You can talk about it any way you want, but that set them back. Yep. Um, and I can tell you, I know a lot of the scouts that moved on from there, and they had an idea for what they wanted to do in the 2020 draft. And most of the players they had rated in draft positions that Buffalo had never got drafted by Buffalo. They went to other places, and a lot of them are actually playing in the league right now. Interesting, too. And that just shows you, too, the the importance of stability and patience, Pierre. I think when you're talking about that, I don't know why it just came into my head. I just thought of Montreal. Maybe it's here. Jeff Gordon actually was on earlier this afternoon with our good friend Mitch Melnick uh, up in Montreal, and I just think of what they're going through right now, and and how much patience Molson is really applying there, and faith, and letting them take their time and get that vision, bring it to fruition. I think that's so important for organizations that are trying to build up again. Because you can't just say, oh, it's two years, I want to change again. Oh, two years, I want to change again. Whether it's a coach, whether it's a GM, what have you, you need to have a little more patience, especially in the cap era here. Absolutely agree. Um, Montreal's doing it right. It's just going to take a little longer. Um, I'm not surprised by that. I don't think you are doing yeah. some of the off-camera talks we've had. Um, but you can see it's starting to – they're starting to get relevant in Laval, which is really good. Um, watch Boston University play. Uh, Lane Hudson is very relevant. Uh, Luke Tuck really had a good weekend against University of Vermont this weekend. You know, you can go around and look at some of their draft picks if you want. But uh, Mon- Montreal's starting to become really relevant in a lot of different ways. So I-, I think they deserve some credit. And I do think Jeff Molson will support Jeff Gordon. He will support uh, the general managership there under Kent Hughes. So I-, I don't see that being an issue in Montreal. I really don't. And for all you Habs fans out there that are freaking out about that 9-4 loss to the Bruins, just remember that game was 5-4 headed to the third. Just remember that. So th- things like that happen. It, like all of a sudden, it can just fall apart. And I, I don't think that has anything to do with the bigger picture. I just think it happens on a, on a game-by-game yeah. basis. Teams have that happen. So yeah, You're right. And here's the one thing, the caveat to everything you said. People have long memories in Montreal. And so the previous game in Ottawa, they were not happy. They were coming off the high of winning in New Jersey, and they got ambushed in Ottawa pretty well, and people didn't like that. So they're taking it personal. It's a rivalry game. And then they go down to Boston, and they get throttled in the third period, another rivalry game. So people in Montreal get mad. I grew up there, and I can tell you that's what happens. You just get mad when you're right. That's totally understandable. I'm just trying to ease their stress right now up here because I'm telling you, too, I talked to some of the Bruins players. And it's amazingly, they say to me, that's a better team. Like every time we play them, the Bruins have come away saying they're on the rise. I mean, you've had opponents saying that about your team. So I get you're upset right now, but big picture, you're on the right track, Montreal. That's all I'll say. How about congratulations to our uh, Friday 
on-campus guest getting a split with UNH. We're talking I about that. Avenue out of University of Connecticut. Great split. Yeah. And by the way, I watched I watched BC and Merrimack on uh, Sunday, Jimmy. Um, I got to tell you right now, and I'm giving the plaudits to to BC. Uh, but when you watch uh, Leonard and and Smith um, and Perot play the USA line, they call them. Uh, every hockey fan should watch that team play just because yeah. of that line. And I know they got other guys that are playing really well. Jack Malone had two goals, a kid that played at Cornell for four years and is a fifth year at, at BC. He played really well. Their defense is mobile and really skilled. They got a great goalie in Jake Fowler. I know all that stuff. But if you really want to see some exciting hockey plays, watch that line uh, with Leonard, with Smith, um, with Perot. Perot's drafted by Rangers, Smith drafted by San Jose, and Leonard drafted by Washington. They're, they're a ton of fun to watch. For sure. And uh, for another uh, fan base, Pierre, that is kind of freaking out right now, and rightfully so, it's the New Jersey Devils. Well, they got a big game tonight against the Vegas Golden Knights, and win or lose tomorrow, we are going to have on the general manager of the New Jersey Devils. Tom Fitzgerald will be joining us here on the eye test. You definitely want to tune in for that. Looking forward to having Fitz on. I, I know they're struggling right now. I know they're hanging on by a thread. But I, you know, and I, I'm maybe a little partisan because I know it fits for a while, but I, I think he's going to find a way out of this. We'll see. Oh, I think so too. One of the ways you find your way out is you get Jack Hughes back. Yep. It's a big, it's a big problem. Yeah. I don't know if they're getting Dougie Dougie back. I don't know if they're getting Dougie Hamilton back. I don't know if they're getting Brendan Smith back, but they need Jack Hughes back. That's a big thing. You talk about Fitzy coming on Tuesday. We're really grateful to all our guests. Uh, we we think we have a very impressive guest for Wednesday. We just can't put it out there yet. He's trying to work out his schedule. But on Thursday, Jimmy, what a surprise! The legendary Doc Emmerich is That's coming. Right, will be yeah. joining us in the press box. Doc Emmerich, looking forward to that. And of course, Pierre, you worked with him for so many years. I can't wait to just listen to you guys trade stories. And and Doc is just years, such a sixteen years, Jimmy. Sixteen years we worked together and. Every single day was an adventure, um, so positive, so many great moments. Um, just a special man, really special man. And he is. Uh, legendary broadcaster, and not just, in, not just in hockey. I mean, people forget he called the NFL on CBS back in the day. Um, he's called baseball games before. Um, you know, he's been a college professor. He's an amazing man. He, he's just a... He, he's probably the most passionate baseball fan I know, and his favorite team are the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, and he spends a lot of time down there during training camp. And um, he's just – he's a special person. Mike Emmerich's an amazing guy. and so honored. We're so thrilled to have him on Thursday. We can't wait. Um, and then on Friday, we're efforting to have an elite college coach. Well, they're all elite, but one in particular, and just waiting to make sure um, – He's going to be able to make time for us before he has a huge game on Friday night. And if he does, we'll let you know about it. For sure. And we've also been looking into getting some agents as well, which I think is important for our, yeah. our yeah. viewers and listeners to hear the perspective of an NHL player agent, especially as we get closer to the NHL trade deadline. I think they can provide some interesting insight that maybe, you know, the fan or even us in the media don't always think of. To see it through an agent's eye is very interesting. I've been lucky enough to just, you know, sit next to these guys in the press box. And it, it makes you think twice about how I write 
about the trade deadline. So yeah. I always like to listen to them talk and we'll look forward to that as well. And and the agents make a big difference going into the trade deadline. There's no question. They also, you got to remember shopping season for some of these pro teams starts right after the trade deadline because that's when college free agents can be signed. Exactly. And so the agents really have their pulse on that. And I can tell you just from all the rinks I go into, this is kind of like the shopping season now. Uh, I know we're just past Christmas, but this is when the scouting gets yeah. unbelievably frenetic and the prospects are the guys that haven't been drafted or the drafted players that aren't being signed and have the chance to be free agents. This is a very busy time uh, for NHL agents. It really is hugely busy time for them. For sure. Looking forward to that. So tomorrow, Tom Fitzgerald, and uh, we apologize for technical difficulties earlier. We will get that fixed. Pierre, another great episode. We appreciate it to all the listeners and viewers. Thanks for the questions. I'm Jimmy Murphy. He's Pierre McGuire. This has been another edition of the Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.